I'm going to pick up kind of where I have been, but a couple of things that I do want to remind you of, and there's just a couple of statements, is one of the statements I've been sharing with you each week, and probably will every week, is that we're empowered to be, not just to do. And when I say that is sometimes we can be, we can fall into the trap that thinks, well, God just wants to empower me to do more for him. No, God wants you to be who he's called you to be. As in there's an active work of God happening on the inside of us all the time, not just to go do some good stuff. He wants me to be empowered by the spirit of God. And so it's very important is that because the, the distinction is this, is that being is who we are. It's an identity thing. Doing is just behavior, right? It's how I behave and it's behavior modification. Well, that's not what Jesus came to do. He came to transform us into something new. And so, uh, you know, last week, I think it was last week, I shared this thought with you is that Jesus saves us, but it's our cooperation with the Holy Spirit that helps us or enables us to change. Now, here's the important part is we have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. He's not the doer. He's the helper, right? He will help us to accomplish God's purpose in our life. And so it's very important that we understand this. And so last week I talked quite a bit about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to touch on this a little bit towards the end of today as well, because it's vitally important that we understand scripture. Now, I realize in a room like this or online, many people have varying degrees of understanding or opinions when it comes to this subject. You know, the question was asked is why do some churches preach against the Holy Spirit? If I was going to word that question the way I think it's probably the most accurate would be is why do some churches teach against the baptism of the Holy Spirit? There's lots of churches who do that. But why? I could give you lots of answers, but my opinion is, is because many people take somebody's opinion over what God's word says and God's word is the ultimate authority. And so last week I really gave you very specific details as to how it works is that there are two experiences that we clearly see through scripture. If you just read the Bible for what it says and not what people have told you, that's important. You shouldn't take what I tell you or what I speak about and just be like, well, that's what my pastor says. You need to know what the word of God says. Like you need to fact check me. Right? We live in a culture. Everybody wants to fact check everything. You need to go to your own Bible and say, is that actually in the scriptures? And many times I'll even tell you because I'm, I'm, this is a big deal to me. I'll even tell you, I can't back this up with scripture, but my opinion is. And the reason I do that is because I want you to know what my opinion is versus with the word of God. Because you can have confidence in God's word, like absolute confidence. And I try to be uh, as accurate and as close to scripture as I can possibly study to figure out to what scripture is saying to us. And so it's very important, though. But one of the things and how I closed out last week, and I want to remind you of this, is that, um, you know, even when we, because being around the way that I have been around in other churches and other places, around other people, I'll give you an example, a quick one. I used to work for UPS in college. There was me who was, uh, I was in college and there was another guy that I knew. We were both Christians. He was very outspoken in his belief and quite obnoxious to everybody else. Because he tried to, I'm just being honest with you, he was very obnoxious and would just be very borderline rude to people about his faith. And he really didn't have a great witness because he just wasn't very pleasant. 
But then I had opportunities just to speak to people and they would come and ask. And I never said anything. I just lived my life, right? And I was, they were like, people would come up to me. Now, granted, I was a college kid. I'd not been to any kind of ministry training or anything. People would walk up to me and say, you're a minister, aren't you? And I'm like, no, I will be, but I'm not today. You know, and part of that, yes, is the gift on my life. It's the calling on my life, yes. But then other people would just come up and say, hey, would you just pray with me? I'm like, why me? Go ask him. They're like, no, I don't like him. I mean, people would tell me that. Like, no, I'm not going to. No, he's not. You know, and so, but here's the thing. And what can happen is, is that if we're not careful, we can actually become prideful about our giftings and about what we know about God and in our understanding of Scripture. And so... This is very important, and I want you to hear this, is that being filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit doesn't make me better than you or better than anybody else. What it does do is it makes me better than me. And that's important to know. Just because I can speak in tongues or because I can do this or I have this gift or that doesn't make me special, doesn't make me different. It just means that somebody gave me a gift, which would be God gave me a gift, but it doesn't make me better or more valuable than anybody else. But what it does do is that by the power of the Holy Spirit working in me, it enables me to be better than myself. And I don't know about you, but I want to be better than myself. And so that's kind of part of what we've been talking about over these last couple of weeks. And even the, the title of the, the, the series is Powerless. And because the Bible talks about this. And so I want to share just a couple of thoughts with you today about this as we're kind of getting into this series and really walking through some things. But, you know, I remember back when the hurricanes hit, I was here right after uh, Laura had hit. And of course, we were doing all kinds of stuff through the church and just feeding people and cutting trees and doing all kinds of stuff right after the storm. But how many of you know that for about, if you're lucky, for about five weeks, you didn't have power? Some of you may have been longer than that. There's nothing worse than being powerless. There's really not. I mean, because there's nothing you can do about it. And so I was fortunate enough that uh, one of my uncles had sent me a generator that would run my house, like a portable generator. It wouldn't run everything, but it would run most. It ran the air conditioner, praise the Lord. That's all I really cared about. Like, I don't need food, I don't, but I do need an air conditioner. Because, uh, yeah, it was August in South Louisiana. And, uh, but there was this thing that would happen occasionally that was very, very frustrating for me. Is I would wake up in the middle of the night sweating. And I can handle a lot of things. I cannot handle sweating while I sleep. I just can't take it. I just can't. And it's like, I just wake up angry, you know, I mean, pray for me. I need some redemption in that area, but I just angry, like just mad. And I, and obviously there was something missing, which was the hum of the generator outside my window, which I didn't mind at all. Like I liked hearing that thing run. Cause if it was running, that meant cold air was blowing. If it wasn't running, guess what? Nothing was happening. So I'd have to go out there in the middle of the night either get it going. Most of the time it would just stop running for no logical reason. Like there's gas, there's oil. You hit the button, you crank it up and it fires back up. And I'm like, praise the Lord, I can go back to sleep. You know, but it's frustrating in that moment. And it's frustrating in the fact that you feel helpless. You know, I can remember like, even like once we got internet and water, or I'm sorry, once we got power and water, then what? We needed internet. And you would see like the, the, the internet trucks from different companies. You want to go chase them down? <laughs> hey, what's the timetable? Like, when am I getting access to the rest of the world? Like, it would be nice. And you feel completely powerless, right? And they're like, well, we don't really know. And I'm like, all right, how much can I pay you to run it from right there to right here? Like, I don't care about everybody else. Just get it to my house and we're going to be good. 
But you feel completely powerless. You feel completely helpless. And so even the word powerless means devoid of strength or resource. You ever felt like you just didn't have what it took? Just didn't have enough? Like, like I've got this in front of me, but I just don't know what to do. I, I just tapped. I mean, we face circumstances. Some of you are right now still in the midst of what? Circumstances outside of your control. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I don't know where my contractor went. He just disappeared. He don't call me. He don't show up. They said they were going to be here at this time. But man, I don't, I don't even know how to get a hold of them. I can't, you know, and you feel power. And what happens when you feel powerless? If you're like me, you get frustrated. It's annoying. It's frustrating because it's like, I wish I knew how to, whatever the case may be. Well, what about in, I mean, there, and this applies in really a lot of things, but let me make it a little more personal than that. What about this one? Have you ever been frustrated with yourself? Like, have you ever had the thought, why did I just do that? Why did I say that? I know better than that. Like I said, I was never going to do that again. And yet I did it. And it's like, why do, why can't I even do anything for me? Like in my own heart, and, or maybe it's a challenge that you're facing. It's an area of your life and your heart that you're like, God, I know that, that I'm convicted that this area needs to change, but I feel absolutely out of control and powerless to do anything about it. Any other sinners in the room? It's okay. Because guess what? The apostle Paul actually talked about this in Romans 8. Romans 7 and Romans 8. I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but he says, why don't I do the, th- do the things I know I should? And the things I know I shouldn't, why do I keep doing them? And he, 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 his paraphrase, and I love it, he says, I am a hopeless man. But just don't stop reading there. Because the scripture keeps writing. And he says, but by the grace of Jesus. He actually calls himself a wretched man. He says, man, I have nothing good in me. He says, but by the power of Christ. I would encourage you to go read those scriptures. And, you know, you know, have you ever tried to, like, just tell yourself to stop doing something? Like, just stop it. Like, how many of you know that doesn't really work? Anybody else like that? It's like me. It's like, I'm never going to do that again. And, like, five minutes later, you're like, dang it. You're just like, I did it again. And you're so frustrated. And it's one thing to have external circumstances going on that are outside of your control. But what about those internal things that it's like, the Bible actually calls it the war within. Like there's this fight, there's this struggle on the inside. And maybe even you, you come to church or you read the scriptures or you, you talk to somebody else and you're like, man, why can't I just be like them? And then you think, but I'm not. And I don't know how to be like them. And I've got all these things going on on the inside, but I am out of control and I don't know how to fix me. If we're all honest, we've all been there. If we're all honest, we're all there in some area right now. If we're honest. Is that there are areas of our life that left to ourselves need a lot of work. And we are incapable of fixing them. Of changing them. Of of them really becoming an area that God can use in our life. And so, you know, as I was preparing this message, my mind kind of went back to uh, not really my childhood, more my later teenage years. But I was reminded of a TV show called Home Improvement. (laughs) How many of you know the show I'm talking about? Who was the main actor in the show? What was his name? 
Tim the Toolman Taylor. Right? How many of you know what I'm talking about? What was his catchphrase? Because he was a tool guy, remember? He would go to like the garbage disposal. And he's like, you know what it needs? It needs more power, right? And it didn't matter what it was. I remember one episode that I saw. He had redone a bathroom for his wife. And he flipped on the lights for the vanity. It looked like a tanning bed. Just like the whole neighborhood's like, you know. And, it, and, and yet he had this thing. And so he always, but what happened is every time he would try to make something more powerful, everything went crazy. Like, you know, people are going to die. It's going to be really bad. Like something would blow up. All of these things. But how many of us probably actually, if we were really just got down to it, would say the same thing about our Christian life? Like we come to church, we try our best, but it's kind of lacking some power for us. And we're like, man, if this is all there is, I feel like I've been sold something that wasn't really what they marketed it as. So how do we actually live a life that's full of the power and the ability of God? The Bible actually talks about this. This is a scripture I've read every week to you. It comes out of John 15, verse 5. It says, as you live in union with me, being Jesus as your source, he says, fruitfulness will stream from within you. I've highlighted that word within every week for a reason. It's not external, it's internal. Everything that you need as a child of God is already on the inside of you. You don't have to go find it. You don't have to go looking for it. You already have it within. It says, but when you live separated from me, one week I left out that word separated on my notes. And when I read it here in service, I thought, well, that sounds weird because it read like when you live for me, you are powerless. It's amazing. One word makes a big difference, right? I don't know how that word got deleted in my notes. How many of you caught that on the screen, by the way? Did anybody catch that? I wondered because I noticed it the next week because I went back and I'm like, that doesn't sound right at all. And then I went back and looked and I was like, oh, I left a word out. Separated is kind of an important word. It says, but when you live separated from me, you are powerless. You, you lack ability. To be and to do what you've been called to do. And the Apostle Paul talks about these things multiple times. We read it in the book of uh, Romans. We read it uh, even here. We're going to look at some verses here in the uh, book of Second Corinthians as well. And I want to take a few moments here to talk about this. Because the reality is, is that we don't have to live out of control. We don't have to live like we have no ability. We don't have to live just stuck to who we are. It's like, you know, have you ever heard somebody say, well, this is just the way that I am? That's kind of a pet peeve statement of mine. And I'll tell you why. Because what you're saying is, is that all the power of God can't change me. And I don't mean to be rude, but God is more powerful than we are. God is more powerful than any issue that we may have today. God's grace is more than enough, not just almost enough. The Bible says more than enough. There's nothing that we face that we cannot overcome. Doesn't mean it's not going to take work because, again, the Holy Spirit's not going to do it for us. He will help us, though. And so Paul talks about this, and for the sake of time, I'm not reading it all in context. You can go read 2 Corinthians chapter 12, but I want to give you some highlights here. And Paul makes this astounding statement in the second part of verse 5. And he says, I will boast about my weaknesses. Now, I don't know about you, that's like totally counterintuitive to human nature. Let me tell you how bad I am. Now, some people got some weird things going on, and they like that kind of stuff. They like to brag about the things they're horrible at, and that's kind of weird to me. But uh, most of us don't like doing that. 
Most of us want to talk about the things that we're amazing at, we're good at, we're strong at. We want to be like that. And yet Paul here says, I will boast only in my weakness. Now he just gave a whole list, which is kind of, this is an interesting scripture. Not just this one, but even the ones that precede it. Because Paul's like, hey, I got called up to heaven and whether I was in the body or the spirit, I don't know. But I'm not going to brag about that. Like, hold up, Paul. What do you, you just, yeah. So it's kind of funny. He's like, I'm not going to brag about it, but I could. Is actually how, it's kind of funny scripture to me. I think Paul was probably sarcastic a little bit. That's why I like him. But he says here, he goes, no, I will boast about my weakness. And the second part of verse six will pick up. And I love this scripture. And he says, I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. I don't want anybody to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life. He says, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. He says, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Now, there's a lot of debate about what Paul's thorn in the flesh is. The Bible tells us. There's no mystery. It's very clear. He says, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan. It was a spirit that basically would, the Bible here says, to torment him. In other words, it followed him around. That's really what it means. Is it a spirit sent from Satan to torment him, to keep him from becoming proud? Now, this is Paul, the apostle, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. One of the greatest of the original apostles, if you will. He wasn't one of the original 12, but he was one of the the earliest um, apostles outside of them that the Bible talks about. Mighty man of God, did amazing things, saw all kinds of cool things happen. And yet, he has... This thorn in his flesh. And this is where Paul, I think, gets very honest. And he says, three different times, I begged the Lord. He didn't even say I asked. He said, I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time the Lord said, my grace is all that you need. My power works best in weakness. Another translation says it this way. that my power works best in your weakness. Now, if we're not careful, we will take this and think, well, God's going to turn my weakness into strength. That's not really the context of the scripture. Because Paul keeps talking here and he keeps writing and he says, that's why I take pleasure in my weakness. And he lists a few of them. He says, in the insults, the hardships, the persecutions and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. He says, for when I am weak, then am I strong. And if we're not careful, what we can hear is that God's going to remove all of my weakness and he's going to make me strong. And I'm going to be strong in every area of my life. And that's not actually what Paul is saying here. What Paul is actually saying is that in your weakness, you can find strength from Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. So it's not that my weakness now becomes strength. That's why Paul says, hey, I'm going to acknowledge my weakness. I'm going to brag. I'm going to boast about my weakness. Why? Because it's my acknowledgement that I need God. And every one of us, saved or unsaved, need to acknowledge our need for God all the time. Like we need him more than we think we need him. We need him in our weaknesses. We need him in our strengths because our strengths left to themselves aren't that great anyways. And yet Paul says that when I am weak, let me say it in other words, when I am humble, then I can become strong. And sometimes we overestimate our abilities and we greatly underestimate what God's ability wants to do in us. 
So we overestimate our ability, we underestimate God's ability and what he wants to do, and therefore we try to do things in and of ourselves, and it's just not going to happen. The message translation says, I just let Christ take over, and so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. The weaker I get, the stronger I become. The weaker I get, the stronger I become. Let me say it this way. The less confident that I am in myself and the more confidence that I have in God, the stronger I will become. Because it's not me looking to me to try to produce something in my life. No, I just want to be who God has created me to be. And I'm going to let the Holy Spirit work in me and I'm just going to cooperate. That's my part. So the weaker that I become, the more that I actually own my shortcomings, the the quicker that you can own your shortcomings, that's the quicker that God's grace can come into that area of your life. So even all those pesky things, those little things in your life that you're like, man, I just have this bad habit, I have this, I have that. I mean, there are things that happen that God will just supernaturally in a moment just remove out of our life. And that does happen. There are some things that are a process. I'll just tell you one of mine. I had a good friend of mine that after I got saved, one of the things, he gave me a list of reasons he knew I was different. One of them was he said that I had stopped cussing. That was number one. Well, I didn't do that in my natural strength. Not to say that the thoughts weren't there, but it was just something that God removed. In large part. But it also took a process Because I would get angry and things would come out. I would hurt myself or whatever. Well, that took a process of time to remove that from my life. There were many other things in my life that were a process. Some took years. Some are still in the process. 20-something years later and God is patient and God is gracious and he's faithful to just walk with us. I mean, one of the most amazing things to me about God is his patience. The Bible, there's another word in the, in the scriptures that talks about loving kindness. I love you so much, I'm not leaving. I'm here. I'm kind because I love it and God works with us. So anytime that we acknowledge our weaknesses, that's the place that we can then ask the Holy Spirit for help. The message, or I'm sorry, the passion translation of verses, second part of verse 9 and verse 10 says, So I will celebrate my weaknesses. And that goes even further. I will celebrate my weaknesses. For when I am weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of God living in me. So I'm not defeated by my weaknesses. Somebody needs to hear that today. As I was working and studying, I came across, I was like, ooh. And the way that it works for me many times is as I'm reading scripture, certain things just kind of stand out. I don't know how to explain it. And this phrase right here really stood out to me is that I'm not defeated by my weakness and somebody needs to hear that today. You do not have to be defeated by your weakness. You do not have to be defeated by your shortcomings. Why? Because the Bible, the gospel, the life of Jesus says something very different for us. And he says, I'm not defeated by my weakness, but I'm delighted. Why? Because in my weakness is an area for the Holy Spirit now to come in and to empower me to be better than me. And we all need areas that we can point to and say, Lord, without you, it's not good. But with you, I can be empowered. 
I mean, I've shared this many times. People many times are very gracious and will say, man, you know, you're a great speaker and you do these things. And man, I get so much out of your messages. I failed speech three times in college. Not because I didn't try. It's crazy. The area that I probably struggled with the most is the very area that God called me to. And many times the things that God will call you to are the thing that you feel the least qualified for. I mean, think about that. Why would God call you to do something that you have no natural aptitude for? Because God won't call us to do something that we can do. Because if we can do it, we can get the glory for it. Now, I've been 20 years in the process of the Lord helping me. I mean, I have a prayer I pray every time before I speak. It comes out of Psalms. It goes like this. says, my tongue is the pen of a ready writer, ready to write upon the hearts and the minds of men and women. My tongue is the pen. And I added something to it after a while. And it was, but just as a pen is pointless without an author to pick it up, I'm, point, I'm useless without you, Holy Spirit. And I need you to speak through me today. So this is real stuff here that we're talking about. And it takes this, this attitude of really just saying, God, I know in my weakness, you're there. You're there. I don't have to be defeated by it. I don't have to be identified by it. It doesn't have to be the definition of who I am or what I'm called to be. But I can actually delight in it. This passage goes on in the second part of verse 10. It says, for in my weakness or for my weakness becomes a portal to God's power. My weakness becomes the avenue, the way that God's power comes in my life. Now, I would encourage you to go read Ephesians chapter 6. Specifically, verses 10 through verse 18. I don't have time to read it today. But he talks about being, he says, so be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Right? Talks about the the armor of God. And it says, you have to put it on. Put on the whole armor of God. And it goes through this list of things. Now, for the sake of time, we're not going to read it all today. Go read it. Ephesians chapter 6. That's a great time to take a note. Mark it down. Act like you care about what I'm saying. Right? (laughs) Ephesians chapter 6, to be strong in the Lord. Well, how am I to be strong in the Lord? You have to put on the armor. Why? Because you're in a fight. Yeah, but, but I, 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 you don't know how weak I am. That's great. That's an opportunity for God to show up. I will brag about my weaknesses. Why? Because in my weakness, I can find strength through the work of the Holy Spirit. I'll remind you again, the Holy Spirit is a helper. He's the, the very spirit of Christ on the inside of you. You don't have to wonder what was it like to live in the days of Jesus. The spirit of Christ lives on the inside of us by the person of the Holy Spirit. He's not some secondary, second-rate God. He is an equal in the Trinity with God the Father, with Jesus the Savior, and the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is in Scripture from cover to cover. God created the heavens and the earth. God spoke. The Bible says that Jesus created and the Holy Spirit oversaw the work. They're all three there, very beginning. And they're still working, all of them. All three in the book of Revelations. The Holy Spirit is alive and well and working today. 
Let me give you three very just practical things on, on why it's important to have the Holy Spirit working in our life and working in our hearts. These are simple, they're straightforward, but they're practical. Number one is to live out our faith in front of friends and family. To live the life that we profess to believe. The, the Holy Spirit enables us and helps us to do this. The second one is to overcome challenges and problems that you face. Man, I'm so thankful that I have the work of the Holy Spirit to help me when I'm challenged. Like, I don't just need him on good days, although I do need the Holy Spirit on good days. I need him on bad days. Like the days where I'm like, I just don't have it in me today. That's where I can rely upon the Holy Spirit, where you can rely upon the Holy Spirit. The third one is to live a full and a flourishing life that Jesus promised us. He said this, that we would, what? But John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you would have what? Abundant or full life. One translation says that you would have life to the fullest ability. That's why Jesus came. Well, how does that happen? By the work of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. So I want to give you two benefits real quick. I've got a few minutes that I want to uh, kind of dial this in specific. Because it's great to, to hear all these things. And be like, hey, I'm going to celebrate my weakness. But I'm going to tell you one of the ways that I have found in my own life. That I have found to be one of the greatest sources of strength. One of the greatest resources. And one of the greatest gifts outside of salvation that God has ever given me. We've talked about this in week one. I talked about the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, just like any other gift, you have to receive it. God's not going to force anything on you. You have to receive it. And so uh, it's not complicated when you stick with Scripture. It's really not. But I want to give you two benefits of receiving what's, what the Scripture refers to. So this isn't a man-made thing. This is Scripture. Two benefits of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's many, but I'm going to give you two primary ones, if you will. And number one is this. Because part of what happens, and one of the things that happens is, is receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is that you, the Bible, you will get a supernatural prayer language. You can call it praying in the Spirit. You can call it speaking in tongues. You can call it whatever you want. But the Bible says that we can what? That we will get a heavenly language that will sound like gibberish to us. I'm going to show you a scripture here in just a moment that actually says this. It says, you won't understand what you're praying, but your spirit prays. And it's really cool and it's really awesome. And there's lots of theory around these things, but I can tell you in my own life, and I can give you story after story after story. And do I fully understand it? No. Do I have to fully understand it to receive all the benefits of it? No, I don't. And so here I want to give you, so let me say this, is that because the, the Apostle Paul talks about this, and again, I'm kind of rushing because of time, because I could teach on this for, there's a lot to be communicated, I'll say it that way, is that Paul said that, hey, he said that you can pray in the natural or in your mind, in other words, you can pray in English, but you can also pray in the spirit. He gives us both, and he says, so, he says, so what do I do? And he says, I'll do both. And, and so here, let me stick to my notes because I'm going to be out of time shortly. So two benefits. Number one is that when I pray, the spirit enables me. When I begin to pray in the Holy Spirit, I'm not just, let me say, I'm not stuck to the knowledge that I have. You ever got a call and somebody says, hey, can you just pray for me? I don't have time to tell you about it. Lord, I don't know what's going on. Help them. Take care of them. Work and do whatever. Amen. I prayed. 
That's all I know. Well, what happens is when we can pray in the Spirit, and I'll show you this in Scripture. I'm not just giving you my thoughts. Is that we pray in the Spirit, but the Holy Spirit enables us to pray. The perfect divine will of God, even when we don't know. It's, it's an amazingly powerful tool. In Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, it says, In a similar way, the Holy Spirit takes hold of our human frailty. Let me say it another way. Our human limitation. To empower us in our weakness. There's that word again. Is the Holy Spirit partners, empowers us in our weakness. It says, for example, we don't know even how to pray or know the best things to ask for. So I got a circumstance, a situation, I'm in a mess and I don't know which way's up. That's kind of important. Right? And it says, but the Holy Spirit rises up within us. Within. There's that word again. Within. It's not external. You have the life of God on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit is working in you. In week one, I talked to you, I'm sorry, week two, I talked to you about the difference of the Holy Spirit at salvation versus the Holy Spirit at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Two different experiences. Go back and listen to week two if you weren't here. Or if you missed it, go back and re-listen to it again. Because it's vitally important that you understand this. Like, supremely important that you understand this. He says, but the Holy Spirit rises up within us to super intercede. That word intercede means to pray. It means that your prayer gets supercharged. Tim, the tool man Taylor, it needs more power. Sometimes our prayer needs more power. So I can pray in my, what I know, I can pray from my intellect, but I can actually pray from my spirit, man. With a heavenly language, it's like a direct line to heaven. Let me say it this way. You have a special extension in heaven to God. And it's your extension to God. You know, like when you call somebody and you get on that long wait list and they're like, if you know the extension of the party you're trying to call and you're like, if I knew the stupid extension, I would dial it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? If you ever call tech support, make sure and ask for their extension. Yeah, it's like the, the speed track to get you to that person again. But he says that the spirit rises up within us to super intercede on our behalf. So the Holy Spirit prays for us. And it says pleading to God with emotional sighs too deep for words. It says God being the searcher of the heart knows fully our longings. Yet he also understands the desires of the spirit because the Holy Spirit passionately pleads before God for us. It says his holy ones in perfect harmony with God's plan and our destiny. You say, yeah, but that's weird. I've said this before, and I will say it till I go to the grave. People are weird. The Holy Spirit is not weird. You were weird before the Holy Spirit. Stop it. <laughs> You're making the rest of us look crazy. The Holy Spirit gets blamed for all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, that ain't the Lord. Why? Because I can read how Jesus was. If you want to know what the Holy Spirit is like, go read how Jesus interacted. How does the Holy Spirit work with us? How did Jesus interact with people? Right? So in case you missed it, stop being weird. It's important. No, the Holy Spirit will what? He prays for us. He's not going to say it this way. He prays through us, not really for us. He prays through us. 
But you know, there, there is something that has to happen, which I, and which was, this was a challenge for me, is I had to learn how to get past my intellectual mind to be able to begin to pray in the spirit. Cause I'm like trying to figure it out. I'm like, give me the schematic. Let me draw my lines, my connecting, like, let me figure this thing out. And I was trying to figure it out here versus it coming from here. John seven thirty seven says that out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Maybe I should teach on that rivers of living water because there's actually four principles there that equate to scripture. It's very interesting. Maybe I will do that in week five because it's super cool. It's four benefits of praying in the Holy Spirit because I won't get into it, but it's super cool. Are y'all interested in that? Yes. Okay. Maybe I will do that in week five then. It's super cool. It's one of the coolest things I've ever heard. Uh, so I love to teach it, but I hadn't really thought about teaching it as part of this series. Maybe I will. I'll pray about it because that's the Christian answer. And uh, <laughs> It's okay to laugh in church. Now, we want to pray as the Holy Spirit, but we have to yield to the Holy Spirit. Now, this is important for you to know this. I could start praying in the Spirit right now, but I choose not to. And you know what? I've been praying in the spirit for 20 years. And you know what's never happened? As I start speaking in the spirit, I'm like, ooh. Now's not the time for that Holy Spirit. Like, keep it back here. It's never happened. I've never been in the middle of Walmart. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes upon me and overwhelms. It doesn't happen. I have to submit to the Holy Spirit. Then he will work through me. In other words, I have to give him permission. So you don't have to be freaked out about him. Like, oh man, that's that weird stuff. It's not. I promise you it's not. The second benefit is this. When we pray in the spirit, what's happening? Like when I, when I start praying in the spirit, like why do I want this? Like what, what's the big deal? The Bible uses this word, it says to edify. It actually means to, to build up or to strengthen yourself. You ever had a battery that was dead and you went and put it on the charger? Sometimes we need to put our heart, our spirit man, on the charger of the Holy Spirit because our batteries are low. How do we do that? By praying in the Holy Spirit. Jude, it's only one chapter, so it's verses 20 and 21, say this. He says, you dear friends, other translations says, my beloved. It says, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, most of time we stop right there, but I just want to add this part of verse 21. Because he says, keep yourselves in, the lo- or in God's love as you wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring you into eternal life. And the reason I want to highlight this is I want to remind you of something that we've been, it's kind of been a, a thread this year through lots of different messages and series is that we are called to love people but not in our own strength. And if you find yourself challenged to love somebody in a moment, in a situation, I would encourage you, begin to pray in the Holy Spirit. If you begin to find yourself in a situation or a circumstance that's beyond what you can handle or deal with in that moment, if you'll begin to pray in the Spirit, what's going to happen? You're going to build your, your spirit man up. It's going to be strengthened. And what? It's going to actually help you to walk in love with people. Remember the fruit of the Spirit from week one? Is that all of the fruit actually flow out of love? So if I'm praying in the Spirit, it's actually going to help me with the fruit of the Spirit, which is supremely important. So my last couple of scriptures come 
for you today. And I know I'm giving you a lot of scripture, but it's because this is so confusing. And I love teaching on the Holy Spirit because it's just wacky people's opinions. And anytime I have conversation, I just like to ask people when they have questions, like, you know, they'll make a statement. Well, this is what I believe. And I'm like, okay, where's that in scripture? And most of the time I just get blank stares. I'm like, somebody told you that that's not in scripture. And then why? Because the Bible says that, and the reason I want to make sure I'm giving you plenty of scripture, because the Bible says, it, it says it this way in the book of Psalms, at the entrance of your word, there's light, there's revelation, there's understanding. So I would rather give you the word of God so that you actually get a revelation and understanding that, that God breathes upon his word. And all of a sudden you're like, that's, yeah, okay, now I get it. I've been trying to do it this way and the Bible tells me to do it this way. That's why it ain't working. So we want to stick with scripture because it's living, it's active, it's working in us. So we have, I was just talking about love. And in 1 Corinthians 13, it's the love chapter. Earlier this year, we, we challenged you, encouraged you, right? I mean, 21 days of prayer, we were talking about what? Living from love and really loving those around us and, and all these different situations and circumstances. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, love is patient, love is kind. I gave you the confession. I am patient and I am kind and I believe the best of every person. Remember that? So that's chapter 13. The love chapter is actually sandwiched. So think of an Oreo. How many of you like Oreos? The cream in the middle is love, right? It's the ooey gooey part. So delightful and tasty. And then you got two cookies on either side. Scripturally, you have the operation of the Holy Spirit on either side of love. They're meant to be together. Now, if you have kids like mine, they just want to eat the cream in the middle and throw the cookies away. I don't get it. I want the whole cookie. So starting in chapter 14, so you have chapter 12, talks about the gifts of the Spirit, talks about all kinds of things. Chapter 13 predominantly talks about the love of God. Chapter 14, he picks up in verse 1. <clears throat> he says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the spirit. He says, especially to prophesy. Now I know, and look, I don't ever mean to be irreverent of scripture, but I also think we've also made it so reverent that we've made it not practical. And so when it says to prophesy, people can be like, Ooh, that's spooky stuff. No, what it means is to say what God has said. Is that really that spooky? We should not be afraid of the gifts of the spirit. We should not be afraid of the Holy Spirit. He is God. And the Bible here tells us, the apostle Paul writes, and says that we are to what? Follow the way of love and to eagerly desire the gifts of the spirit. There's the fruit of the spirit. There's nine. There are nine gifts of the spirit. It's amazing how God did that. You would think he planned it. Nine and nine. Hmm. They actually tie in together. But he goes on here, he says, for if anyone speaks in a tongue and does not speak, or he does not speak to God, but to people. I'm sorry, he does not, if he speaks in a tongue, he does not speak to people, but unto God. So I, I have to give you some understanding here. 
because of what the context in which Paul wrote, because this can, is probably one of the most confusing things when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, is that people get confused because the Bible actually talks about two types of tongues. There's the gift of tongues, which is an operation of the Holy Spirit that happens within the gathering of believers. Then there's a private prayer language that I can pray anywhere I am. You can pray anywhere you are. They're two different things. But if you read these scriptures, Paul actually talks about both here. But most of people just lump it into one. And so chapter 14 here is he's actually talking to a church saying, y'all are crazy. Y'all got spiritual gifts, but man, y'all are nuts. And he's trying to give them order. So you have to understand this. I'm going to reread this first, the second part of this verse. He says, now listen, this is the private prayer language. He says, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. If I started praying in the spirit right now, guess what? None of you have any clue what I'm saying. But God does. That's my private prayer language. And so because of the chaos that was going on in the church, because that's what was happening. People would get up and just start... And everybody's like, what's going on? And it was creating confusion. All these kinds of things are going on in the church. Paul goes on here and he says, indeed, no one understands them. He says, for they utter mysteries by the spirit. I don't have to know what I'm praying when I'm praying in the spirit, but I do know it's the will of God. That's the private prayer language, not the public one. So that's verses one and two. Verse four. And I'm primarily speaking and addressing the private prayer language, not the public one. There's a reason for this. Why? Because most of you will never use that gift publicly. But every one of you can use the private gift. So I'd rather emphasize on the one that's available to everybody. That's why I'm focusing on it. In verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 14, it says that anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. But he who prophesies edifies the church. These are the gifts of the Spirit. And so he, he says, hey, when you pray in the Spirit, when you pray in your, in your prayer language, you're edifying, you're building up, you're strengthening yourself. But when somebody prophesies, and people will say, well, see, we don't need tongues, we need prophecy. That's not what Paul said. He says, in a church service, you can pray in the Spirit, just do it privately. But he says, the one who prophesies edifies the church. By the way, there was prophecy this morning already, and if you weren't even aware. Just so you know. So we don't have to make a show of these things to happen. You're like, well, I missed it. Remember when I made a stop for a moment and I read a scripture and I said that you don't have to be defeated by your weakness? That was a prophetic word for somebody. And that's why I said that was for somebody in this room. I didn't stop and be like, hey, I have a word from the Lord for somebody in this room. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be strange. But if that was you, here's what you need to know. God spoke it and he will bring power behind that word. So that you don't have to be defeated. That's why it's better to prophesy in a church service than it is to give a tongue. Because when God speaks, there's power behind it. Always. God never does anything by chance. There's always a purpose behind it. So verse 14 uh, 14 and 15 of 1 Corinthians 14. 
He says, if I pray in a tongue, he says, my spirit prays. He says, but my mind is unfruitful. One translation says it's unproductive. My mind has no idea what's going on. My spirit man prays, not my intellectual man. It's different. He says, if I pray in a tongue, in a tongue my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. He says, so what should I do? He says, I will pray in the spirit, but I will also pray in my understanding. I will sing in the spirit. But I will also sing in my understanding. The Bible actually says you can sing in the Holy Spirit. In your prayer language. You can pray in English. You can pray in, from your intellect, your knowledge. But the Bible says your spirit can pray. We do both. Not one or the other. But when my spirit man begins to pray, when I yield myself, that's really the, the proper understanding of I said surrender submit it's really to yield it means to give way to the Holy Spirit to pray through you it's not complicated but it can be if we allow it to become complicated today I can flip a switch I've had lots of practice I'll give you a quick story about something that went on um, I've shared this story before and I'll keep it pretty brief but um when Max was nine months old, he fell off of a countertop. He was sitting in one of those countertop seats. He leaned over the edge and flipped out. Hit his head right on some tile floor. Take him to the hospital. I was too busy doing too many other things. And so Derek calls me and says, you know, like I had gone to the hospital with him. And, you know, he's throwing up and all this stuff. And, you know, and they're trying to figure out. Take him to the hospital. And unfortunately, being a bad dad, I'm just being honest, I left the hospital. Because I had to go take care of something. And Derek calls me and says, hey, they want to fly Max. I'm like, fly him where? And they're like, to Little Rock, two hours away. And I said, I'm on my way back. So I get back to the hospital. The doctor meets me at the door because I'm ready to fight. I'm like, you ain't taking my son. You're not putting him on a plane. I don't have money for that. And the doctor met me at the door and said, sir, I would not leave my son here. If he has a brain bleed, he will die in this hospital. Because there's no one qualified to help him. Conversation over. Put him on the plane. So long story short, they put him on the plane. I get in the car because only one person was allowed. Derek gets in the helicopter, flies to Little Rock. She did high-level flying. I did low-level flying. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and, um, but I, I'll never forget this moment because it changed me. It really did. It, it changed how I approach God. Because me going into my natural mind goes, okay, <clears throat> I need to pray. I need to put on worship music. I need to, like, I've got to get focused. And I turned on worship music that was like one of my favorite playlists. And I realized my worship was about me. And I was like, this is not fitting for this moment. And I almost got like angry about it a little bit. So I turned the music off. And I'm worried and I'm stressed out and I'm freaked out. And I don't know what's going on. And I'm driving way too fast. And I'm crying. And like, I was a hot mess. And I begin to pray in the Holy Spirit. For an hour and a half straight, almost at the top of my lungs. I arrived about 30 minutes after the helicopter. I was halfway there when they flew over me. And I walk in that hospital and they're telling me, my son, they don't know what's wrong, but they're like, do not leave him here. And I'm praying and I'm speaking the word of God and I'm praying in the spirit because it didn't take me long to run out of, to know what to pray. And when I walked in that room, my boy looked at me and smiled and said, Daddy, 
Long story short, within 24 hours, we were released. We went home. It was actually on Good Friday, and I had to preach Easter service the next morning. Praise the Lord. I was exhausted, but I was there. You need the Holy Spirit in that moment. He is not optional. We can make him optional. In a moment like that, he is not optional. He's a necessity. And I don't know any clearer way to communicate it than that. Because everything naturally was not enough. And your situation may not be that extreme. But here's the good news. It doesn't have to be for the Holy Spirit to work. It doesn't have to be that extreme. Remember earlier I told you, and I'm going to repeat it, is that being filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't make me better than anybody else. It does make me better than me. And in that moment, I needed to be better than me. And I needed to be able to, to pray, not in my own strength or my own ability, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that we're to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gift. It has to be received. He has to be received. God won't give you anything that you don't want. I'm not trying to convince you of anything this morning. I am trying to help you understand something this morning. But it's up to you what you do with it. And you're not any better per se. You may be better off, but you're not better because you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You're not better because you have a prayer language. This is what I will tell you, and I've already shared it in weeks, previous weeks. It's available to all. Not a select few. And I don't care what theology you've been told or who taught you. They did not teach you scripture. And I realize that's a very offensive statement. But I'm just telling you, the word of God has supreme authority over every man's opinion. And I wouldn't make that statement except for it is the word of God. And I laid that out pretty clearly last week for you. But here's what you have to know. Because, I, I mean, I've, I've talked to lots of people about this through the years. People are like, man, is it, what's it going to do to me? Is it going to change me? No, you'll still be you. Your personality's not going to change. You're not going to talk differently. You're not going to do weird things. Nothing crazy is going to happen to you. You don't have to be anxious or worried. Here's what you can rest in. Is that God is so gracious. God is so gracious to us. The Holy Spirit is gracious to us. He will meet us right where we are. And he empowers us to be better than us. Say, well, how do I receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You you receive it. You ask. The only qualifier is you have to be saved. You have to be. You have to, what? Ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. You have to surrender your heart. Ask for the forgiveness of your sin. That's the only qualifier. That's it. Like, why do I have to go to like 15 classes? No. You don't have to go to one. But you can receive the power of the Holy Spirit. This morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity here in just a minute. But no, God is gracious. He will never embarrass you. He's never going to do something squirrely with you. Nothing, none of that's going to happen. Remember, you have to yield for him to work. You've got to give him permission. And so I want to pray this morning 
But I want to lead you in a prayer of salvation. And Dara said she missed it last week because she was like, oh, I just thought you just started praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You're going to have a decision. You get to make the choice today. But I'm going to lead you in a prayer of salvation. And then I'm going to lead you in a prayer to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you just receive it. Nothing crazy about it. Nothing complicated about it. You receive it as a gift. And just say, Father, I thank you that I've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you start moving forward. Now, here's what I will tell you. The Holy Spirit, and look, this could happen anywhere. It may happen right now. It may happen this afternoon. It may happen in two days from now. All of a sudden, you're going to get an unction from your spirit, man. You may be praying in the natural, and all of a sudden, you get these syllables. You're like, what is that? It's the Holy Spirit. You have to yield to it, right? Like, I sound like a baby. So did I. Sometimes I guess I'm too practical for my own good a little bit, but so did I. If you tried to learn another language today, guess what? You're going to sound like a baby too. It's a new language. You're learning. So don't be discouraged by it, but just continue to say, Father, I thank you that I've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When you're challenged, Father, I thank you. I've got the Holy Spirit living on the inside of me. And that's how we do it. So I want to pray this morning and lead you in a prayer of salvation. If you're here in the room or online, here's the good news. You're not excluded from this online. The same Holy Spirit that's in this room is right there with you right now. So would you pray this with me if you want to receive it? Just so everybody pray with me. And if you want to pray this for you, the Bible says you just have to believe it in your heart. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for his sacrifice that paid for my salvation. I thank you that I'm forgiven of all of my sins right now that you remember them no more never again I thank you for your life in me right now in Jesus name now I want to lead you in a prayer to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit so again just like we just did for salvation it's a gift you have to receive it but if you say hey I've never had that experience no problem you can But if you're like, man, I want that, just pray this with me. Say, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the Holy Spirit. I receive the gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. According to your word, your promise to me. You said that I would be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I receive my prayer language right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you have any questions, you may have some questions. Reach out to me. I would love if you have questions. You got the answer.